I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. What an honor it is to recognize mothers today. I recall that perhaps the last person Jesus honored before he died on the cross, while he was dying on the cross, was his mother commending her to the disciple John. So all of you who are mothers, please stand up and let us applaud you. On this Mother's Day, we are well aware from the news reports that a furious debate is going on across our country about abortion, about unborn babies that may never have a chance to meet their mothers this side of heaven. The Roman Catholic Church has been the primary church voice in defense of unborn babies. Therefore, some pro-abortion groups have threatened to retaliate against those churches today. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Some people are threatening to spray paint hateful slogans on those churches today. If they do, those churches should consider that spray paint as a badge of honor. I thank God today for all who defend the most vulnerable of all the lambs of Christ, the unborn. Amen. The scripture for today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 21, and then from Paul's second letter to Timothy. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then St. Paul wrote to his young assistant, Timothy, these words, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray.
Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. A young couple was trying to train their five-year-old son to sit with them in Sunday worship. Now, they brought along some helps. They brought along crayons and paper so the little fella could color. They also brought a few pieces of candy to keep him occupied. But the little fellow was having a bad day, and he kept making unnecessary noises and distracting people around him. Now the parents whispered to him, hush, hush, but it did no good. He just kept on. Finally, the father had had enough. He stood up, lifted the little fellow in his arms, and started walking sternly toward the exit. And just before he got to the exit, the little boy said to the congregation, pray for me, pray for me. <laughs> now, now that little boy would not agree, but what that father was actually doing was nurturing him. That's right. If you look up the word nurture in the dictionary, it means to feed and nourish and train and educate and love. And surely discipline is a part of training and love. In our current sermon series entitled Stages, we are looking at the various stages in normal lifespans and the challenges associated with each one. And today we focus on nourishing, nurturing children and adolescents. And while this is primarily the task of parents, all of us who interact with children have a role to play. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, that I read to you moments ago, we have an account of Jesus, the risen Christ, soon after his resurrection. He met the disciples down on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He cooked breakfast for them. And then he asked the leader of the disciples, Simon Peter, the same question three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? When I think about that, it was such a gentle way of offering forgiveness. Our Lord knew that just days earlier, Simon Peter had denied him three times. So instead of indicting Simon Peter in front of the other disciples, he simply offered him three opportunities to make up for those three denials in such a gentle way. Then after Simon Peter had answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus gave him three times a similar command. He commanded him to care for and feed my sheep, referring to the people of the infant church. Ah, but the first command was slightly different. He said, feed my lambs, referring to the youngest of the sheep, the children in the kingdom of God, of course. And in Matthew 19, we find Jesus showing once again that he gave priority to little children. At that time, there were parents who were bringing their little ones to Jesus for him to bless them and to pray for them. But the disciples were not happy with that. They thought that was uh, 
interrupting Jesus' busy schedule. They thought that Jesus, you know, was too busy with his teaching and healing to fool around with these little kids. Jesus disagreed. And one of the few times he ever rebuked the disciples publicly was this time. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, since today is not only Mother's Day, but is also the festival of the Christian home, it's entirely appropriate that we consider how to nurture the lambs of Jesus, the children and the teenagers, so that they grow up in Christ. Now, mothers are God's experts in nurturing. They're just specially gifted. Yes, dads do the best they can, but they don't have some of the natural gifts that mom has. Uh, dads have a tendency with the sons to say, suck it up, boy. Act like a man. Don't cry. But moms, they've got an extra compassion gene. Now, little boys learn this quickly. And they know that mama is a soft touch. They can get things out of mama they can't get out of papa. And little girls learn the opposite. Daddy is a soft, soft touch if there ever was one. Daddy has such a hard time ever saying no to his little princess. Two children, four-year-old and six-year-old sisters, uh, bought a house plant for their mother on Mother's Day. They used their own money, and Mama was thrilled. But the little six-year-old girl with a sad face said, Mama, there was a bouquet at the flower shop we wanted to buy for you, but it was too expensive. It had a pretty ribbon on it that said, Rest in Peace. <laughs> now, that's something that most moms never get a chance to do this side of heaven. Parent, parenting is intensive leadership, 24-7. And the Bible describes it this way, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a difficult and challenging time it is right now to be tending the lambs of Christ, rearing little children and teenagers in Christ. Forty years ago, according to the surveys, the most common fears of elementary children were animals, snakes, dark places, high places, and loud noises. Today, in America, 2022, according to the surveys, the most common fears of elementary children are parental divorce, guns, mugging, and all kinds of crime. In a previous church I served, we had a prayer request box, and you could anonymously drop in a prayer request. And I remember one that was brought to me, and it was written in a childish scrawl, and it, it almost broke my heart. It said this, my parents got divorced two weeks ago. Please ask God to help them be friends. They're having a hard time. Now, it's in this challenging context that we are called to nurture children and teenagers. And thankfully, the Bible gives us a splendid example 
in how to tend those lambs. The child's name is Timothy. He lived in the city of Lystra, which is in present-day Turkey. Timothy was probably just a teenager when St. Paul came through Lystra on his first missionary journey. Timothy had a wonderful mother named Eunice. The only mention of his father is that he was a Greek. It is very possible that his father died when Timothy was quite young. Likely, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, moved in with Eunice and Timothy. And now these two women were faithful Jewish believers. And St. Paul came to town and preached the gospel in their synagogue. And among the first converts were Eunice and Lois. And Timothy was not far behind. Perhaps Eunice invited Paul to stay at their home while he was in Lystra. And Paul must have noticed the, the zeal of young Timothy, the, the ability, the charm, the enthusiasm. Therefore, several years later, when Paul came back through the city on his second missionary journey, he felt called by God to invite Timothy to go with him on his missionary journeys. So, when Timothy was probably 18 or 20 years old, he left home for good. For the next 15 years, he was Paul's faithful assistant. Paul referred to him as my beloved son and faithful to the Lord. Years later, when Paul was in prison in Rome, Timothy was there to minister to him. And our text for today, from Paul's second letter to Timothy, was probably the last letter Paul ever wrote. It may have been written just days before he was beheaded by Emperor Nero. What can we learn from Eunice, Lois, and Timothy about tending the lambs of Christ? Here's the first truth. Feed the lambs early. Feed the lambs early. And I'm not talking about pizza and popcorn. I'm talking about God's truth centered on Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Now Eunice and Lois were faithful Jewish mothers. And in that day it was claimed that Jewish children learned the Old Testament law even from their swaddling clothes and they drank it with their mother's milk. That's early. Paul wrote concerning Timothy, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. As soon as a child is able to understand the English language, we ought to expose him or her to God's holy word. I still have as a treasured book on my bookshelf at home one of the Bible story books that I used decades ago with our two little boys when they were preschoolers. It was my duty and privilege on the nights that I was home to read to them one of the Bible story books uh, and to listen to their prayers. And the book now is dog-eared. Some of the pages were torn and had to be retaped. But I treasure that book. And on the nights when I was not home, their mother took over that duty. Now today there are videos available to, to teach the little ones the Bible stories. You can download all of them in living color on your iPad and, and show them to the little one. Of course, I wondered, when you're, when you're showing the story of David fighting Goliath in living color, don't know if that makes the kid ready for bed or not, but anyway... One day a Sunday school teacher asked a little boy 
why he believed in God. And he said, I think it runs in our family. <laughs> and it sure does. It sure does. Uh, even some secular psychologists uh, are telling us that our children learn their most important lessons of all by the time they're six years old. And the prominent sociologist George Barna has done extensive surveys and has found that if Jesus is not an important part of a child's life by the time he leaves high school, the odds are only 6% that he will ever become a Christian. So the old hymn from the Cokesbury Hymnal is a plea from the heart of little children. Tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear. Things I would ask him to tell me if he were here. Scenes by the wayside. Tales of the sea. Stories of Jesus. Tell them to me. Here's the second truth that we learn from Eunice, Lois, and Timothy. Grandparents have an important role to play. Notice that grandmother Lois was the first person in the family to become a Christian. Paul writes this, The faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Now, somebody said that grandchildren are the reward that God gives parents for not killing their children. <laughs> Grandparents can be a huge blessing because they have a world of experience. And in most cases, they have more spare time and patience than parents do. Yes, they sometimes indulge and spoil the kids. One parent said, it takes a week of retraining for a child to recover from a weekend with grandparents. But what child can't stand a little spoiling once in a while? And who better to do it than a grandparent? I know of one set of grandparents who gave a special Christmas gift to their daughter and son-in-law who have two rambunctious little boys. They gave them six homemade coupons, each one good for a weekend of childcare to be used during the coming year. Thoughtful gift. Grandparents have a powerful role to play. Here's the third truth that we learn from Eunice, Lois, and Timothy. God has no grandchildren. Timothy certainly benefited from the faith of his grandmother and mother, but he had to claim Christ for himself. And he did. St. Paul wrote, That sincere faith now lives in you also. Nobody can live off the faith of their parent. I don't care how devout that parent was. Every person must dump his or her own sin at the foot of the cross in repentance and claim Jesus Christ by faith as Savior and Lord. There's an old saying that being born in a Christian home no more makes one a Christian than being born in a garage makes one an automobile. Now, you know children are quite observant. They're, they're like voracious learning machines. A grandmother was much impressed one time when her little four-year-old grandchild was so skilled at counting backwards. And she asked him, honey, did you learn that in kindergarten? He said, no, I just watched the microwave. Yeah. <laughs> if your children are as old as eight they may have already learned more than you realize. They probably know whether you read the Bible regularly. 
they probably have learned whether your prayer life is limited to just grace at mealtimes. They probably have learned whether you like or dislike your job or vocation. They probably know what you and your spouse disagree about. They certainly know what athletic teams you pull for. And they may even know how you plan to vote in November. But have they learned the only thing that is as important as hearing those three words, I love you? Have you told them when and how you came to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How and when he became your Savior and Lord? You can be sure that Eunice and Lois told Timothy. If your child in his or her earliest memories heard you calling his or her name in prayer, it is doubtful that your child will ever stray very far or very long from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the fourth and final truth that we learned from Eunice, Lois, and Timothy. Love the lambs well, but don't be possessive. Oh, that's hard. Just imagine how attached Eunice and Lois were to Timothy. He may have been her only child. And remember, back then there was no social security. A widow was dependent on her son to grow up and support her in her latter years. Yet, Eunice and Lois were willing to release Timothy to go with Paul all over the Roman world. You know, most of us parents find it easy to love our children. That is most of the time. Now, yes, the tantrum of a two-year-old can get old. And a child's whining can be irritating. But most of the time, we love to love our children. And no child ever gets too many healthy hugs. Or ever gets too old to hear a parent or grandparent say at the end of a phone conversation, I love you. Just one month ago, our newspaper told a beautiful story of parental love shown to one boy by three parents. And as I tell you about it, I wonder if you remember reading it just a month ago. The recipient of that love is the new South Carolina State Senator named Mike Rickenbach. He owns a car dealership in Florence. He happens to be a black man. His birth mother was just 14 when she found out she was pregnant. Some of her friends and some of her family advised her to get an abortion. She refused. Mike, in talking about that 14-year-old birth mother, said, she chose my life. And in his first speech a month ago before the General Assembly, he became quite emotional as he thanked his mother and father, who happened to be white, for adopting him and rearing him in a loving home. Just imagine where Mike might be without that parental love. 
Part of nurturing is establishing and enforcing rules, and your children will not always appreciate the rules. It has been said there are three ways to be sure something gets done. One, do it yourself. Two, hire somebody. Three, forbid your children from doing it. (laughs) Now, when you tell your high school daughter that she can't share a house at the beach with a dozen boys and girls from her class without a chaperone, she will not necessarily appreciate that. She may tell you, the parents of my friends don't have a problem with it. And because you do, it's making me feel odd, different. And then she may look at you with those beautiful eyes and say, don't you trust me? And then she may cry. But if you stand by your rules because you believe them to be wise and right, there will come a time later when she will probably come to you and thank you. Often our children challenge our rules to find out what we really believe or where we're squishy. They need something steady to bounce up against as they develop their own ideas of right and wrong. In Acts chapter 16, we're told that when St. Paul returned to Lystra, the church members there spoke really highly of Timothy. Oh, they said, the young fellow is growing spiritually. He, he's already become a leader around here, and he has such ability. And uh, Paul wanted to take Timothy with him on his journeys, and Timothy wanted to go. I want you to just imagine the long conversations that, that Paul must have had with Eunice and Lois about Timothy. Now I'm going to share with you an educated guess. It's not in the Bible, but it's a reasonable supposition. I got a, I got a feeling that Paul went to the leaders of the church in Lystra and said, Look, you know how talented Timothy is. He would be a great help to me on the mission field. And he wants to go. But he's worried about how his mother and grandmother would be taken care of. Would you people in the church be willing to take Eunice and Lois under your wings and make sure that they're taken care of? And I guarantee you the leaders of that church said, we will do that. We will do that. And though Eunice and Lois hated to part with Timothy... They recognized he had a higher call, and they released him to that call. Let me describe to you what the ideal scenario looks like in tending the lambs of Christ. In the home, we teach Jane and Johnny to pray and read the Bible regularly. We train them to sharpen their ability to discern between right and wrong. We lead them to love the church as their spiritual family. And then gradually, as they get older, we transfer their primary allegiance from us to the Heavenly Father. We gradually work ourselves out of a job. And that job happens to be the most important task on the planet Earth, tending the lambs of Christ. The writer Humphrey Lee gives us a beautiful analogy of what it means to successfully tend the lambs of Christ. He talks about visiting a a small county airport one night and watching a 
a little private plane take off. And there at the end of the runway, the pilot revved up the engine. And then an attendant in the airport flipped a switch. And suddenly there was a path of light down the middle of the runway. And that pilot accelerated the plane. And it roared right down that pencil of light. And then gracefully arose into the dark sky. And then the attendant switched off the light. He had done all he could do. He helped the pilot get off to a good start. That's all we parents can do. We cannot shield our children from all risk or heartbreak or tragedy, but we can help them get off to a good start and then tenderly transfer them to the all-sufficient provider who can guide them through the darkness into his glorious light. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for trusting us to love and train your precious little people. You know our frailties and failings, yet you still entrust us with this vital task. We beg you to help us. Stiffen our spines when we go wobbly on matters of right and wrong. Increase our patience when we are tired, uh, frustrated, or distracted. Never let us forget the awesome possibilities lurking in each one of your precious boys and girls. Show us how to lead them to Christ. Amen.